listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shoja. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shodry, and today we're talking about heartworms. Now that brings me to my rant of the week. I hate mosquitoes, not only because they're itchy aggravations, but these nasty vampires spread deadly heartworm disease. That can make your dog or your cat sick, or worse, it could kill them. Now, dogs are the natural host, and heartworms have been a problem since, oh, at least 1922 when they were first discovered. But today, heartworms are found all over the world, and they're also known to affect your cats. Now, there are some misconceptions about what pets are at risk and how to handle the problem. And there are also some emerging concerns over prevention and treatment of this debilitating disease. So today on Pet Peeves, we're going to have a heart-to-heart about heartworms. So I'm delighted to introduce you to Dr. Wallace E. Graham. Now, Dr. Graham founded Woldridge Creek Animal Hospital of Corpus Christi, Texas in 1982, but he's also the current president of the American Heartworm Society, which was founded during the Heartworm Symposium of 1974. Now, American Heartworm Society's mission is to lead the veterinary profession and the public in the understanding of heartworm disease by furthering the study of this awful condition and to help promote effective means for diagnosis, for treatment, and prevention of heartworms. So park your furry tails, call your cats and dogs, get comfortable, and we'll be right back with Dr. Graham after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Buster, you're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition, I guarantee it. Petco, where the healthy pets go. Enter the code PEEVES10, P-E-E-V-E-S, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. your business to reach out and invite in our audience. We have a brand new trademark concept called Info Seeds. Info Seeds are short 20 second seeds of information about your place of business, practice or service is the best, most cost effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website PetLifeRadio.com Click on sponsorship information. There you can listen to a sample of Info Seed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available pets can be a wonderful addition to your life 
because they're a member of the family. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please help me welcome Dr. Wallace Graham, the president of the American Heartworm Society. Thanks for coming to the show, doctor. Pleased to be here. I always like to start out the show asking my guest a little bit about themselves. What dogs and cats do you currently have, and, and how did you become involved with the American Heartworm Society? I currently have a Rottweiler, Basie, and a Yorkshire Terrier, Hannah, and a domestic short-haired cat, Cookie. I became interested in heartworm disease early in my career, a former president of The American Heartworm Society was a mentor to many young veterinarians in my area, and he got us all interested in heartworms. Who was that? That was Dr. Dayton Prouty, Pat Prouty. Oh, okay. I need to get folks to understand. Uh, Now, I know that there there may be a few folks who maybe live under rocks who have never heard of heartworms. So let's explain to listeners what exactly is heartworm disease. How do pets get it? Why is it a big deal? Well, it's a big deal, number one, because it's preventable. And and that's the thing that's so important about this devastating disease is it's preventable. But heartworms are a parasite that live in the arteries that serve the lungs and sometimes in the right side of the heart of dogs, uh, also sometimes cats, and then also in many wild animals, foxes, raccoons, coyotes, so Lots of animals can serve as reservoirs, and the female heartworm produces uh, live larvae that then circulate in the blood, and when the mosquito takes a blood meal, it takes in these larvae. These larvae mature uh, to a certain stage in the mosquito, and then the next time the mosquito feeds on that dog or cat or a different dog or cat, uh, those infective larvae now are deposited on the skin, They enter the perforation in the skin that the mosquito has made, migrate through the animal's body, eventually winding up again in the pulmonary arteries of the host, and the cycle starts again. Okay, well, I hear from listeners who don't think that their pets are at risk. They say, well, you know, we don't have mosquitoes where I live, or they say, my cat stays inside all the time. What are the risk factors for heartworm disease? Are, are there some pets that are more susceptible than others, or certain parts of the country where you don't really have to worry about this? Well, certainly there are some parts of the country where the risks are lower and where the transmission rates are less than other parts of the country, and it is a function of mosquitoes. Obviously, um, if someone could guarantee that their pet would never be exposed to a mosquito, then they wouldn't have to worry about it. The problem is is that we now understand that there are even 
many parts of the country where we thought mosquitoes weren't, but we find that there are microclimates there that actually support uh, mosquito populations, and, um, and it takes just the bite of one. And that's why uh, we at the American Heartworm Society, because the disease is so devastating, it's expensive to treat, difficult uh, for the animal to go through the treatment, uh, it's just much, much better to prevent it. And that's why we stress uh, year-round prevention uh, in all of our pets. Well, of course, I mean, if you have a pet, even if it's a really low-risk area, that one mosquito bite, your pet's 100% affected then. Yes, it's always surprising to me that, in, for instance, when we're talking about cats, the last six cats that I've had in my practice that I knew had heartworms, uh, three of those were indoor-only cats, and two of the others were in and out. So and only one of those was a strictly outside cat. So that was a big paradigm shift for me as I realized uh, some time ago that that even cats that I didn't think would be significantly at risk are. And so it's important to protect them, too. Well, and that actually leads right to my next question. A lot of listeners know about heartworm and how it affects dogs, but they probably may not be aware that cats are also at risk. And from my understanding, cats' symptoms, symptomology is perhaps different than dogs. The progression of the disease is a little bit different. Can you explain the differences between the dog and the cat versions of the disease and what cat owners might need to be aware of? Sure. The disease in dogs is, is, is primarily a cardiopulmonary, a, a circulation disease where the the worms are occupying space in the arteries that serve the lungs. They also are causing an inflammatory response in those arteries and those, um, you know, there are changes there and those changes become permanent, by the way, even if we rid the animal heartworms, the changes ah. that the worms have caused uh, don't go away. But in dogs, it's primarily that, that kind of scenario. In cats, it's different. In cats, it's primarily a lung disease. And it's an inflammatory process that takes place primarily in the lungs. We hardly ever see significant heart problems in cats other than those that might occur as the lungs are affected, the circulation of the lungs becomes so severely affected that it affects the heart. But usually we don't see that. Most of the time in cats, what we're seeing primarily is lung disease, and it's often thought to be bronchitis or asthma or something like that when, in fact, it's this big inflammatory response that's caused by the heartworms. So the cat is coughing, is choking, maybe people think they have hairballs, that kind of thing? Yeah, the three uh, most common symptoms that we see in cats, oddly enough, two of them you wouldn't necessarily associate with heartworms right off if you're thinking mostly about dogs, but in cats, uh, certainly this asthma-like syndrome where there's coughing, wheezing, difficulty breathing, uh, and when it gets really severe, uh, open mouth breathing and changes in the color of the tongue and gums in the mouth uh, because they're not oxygenating well. The other things that we see sometimes, and we can't fully explain this one, uh, but cats that are chronic vomitors, oftentimes if you check, those cats have heartworms, and it's not fully understood uh, the mechanism that uh, is occurring there, but, but, but that is something that's fairly commonly seen, uh, cats that chronically vomit. And then the other, uh, unfortunately, that we see is a cat that's fine this morning and is dead this afternoon. Whoa, that's, that's a pretty permanent symptom. Thing, yes, it's, and, uh, and that is a result of a tremendous inflammatory response that occurs in the lungs of the cats. Usually it occurs in two phases of the heartworm infection. 
when the worms first emerge into the pulmonary artery. Sometimes there's such a huge immune inflammatory response to that that it just overwhelms the lungs and the cats die from a, a, a real acute lung problem at that point. Uh, the other time is, is that if the cat doesn't have severe symptoms, then, interestingly enough, uh, somehow the, the worm that's living in the cat's uh, pulmonary artery seems to somehow be able to down-regulate the cat's immune system, and, and they actually get along just fine ah. until the worm dies. And then this huge immune response again occurs to the dying worm, that the tissues, the decaying tissues of the dying worm, and we have this big thing. So, so we see in cats two times during the heartworm infection that uh, cause the most problem. That's when the worms first emerge into the pulmonary artery, and then if the cat uh, is okay and, and makes it through that phase, then we have the second part when the worm eventually dies, and they do. The lifespan of the worm. In cats, it's much shorter. It's about 18 months, perhaps, give or take some. Dogs, it's five to seven years. Wow. So switching to dogs then, dogs can have a much larger worm load because just their size, I'm assuming. Yeah. So Cats are not as, as good a host for the, we, we almost, for the heartworm. We almost never see large worm burdens in cats. Usually it's one, two, three worms uh, in a naturally infected cat, whereas in dogs it's be many, many more than that. Okay, so say you have, you've just adopted a, a new puppy or a kitten, or maybe you've adopted, you know, an adult pet. How soon should that puppy or kitten get on preventative? And in adult pets, explain the screening test, because, sure. I mean, it's not a good idea to give them preventive if they're already infected, it's my understanding. Well, you're right, and, it, and it's important to know the, the, the status of the patient uh, when, when they're started. Obviously, we want to get puppies and kittens on heartworm prevention beginning at six to eight weeks of age. The life cycle of the heartworm is long enough such that it, and it's six to nine months. So, so testing puppies before they're six months old doesn't really make any sense because you're, you're not going to get a positive test, but not until the, the infection has a chance to mature. But So we start them at uh, six to eight weeks. Now, an, an older pet, any patient that's six months or older, uh, needs to be, I'm talking about dogs now, needs to be uh, tested for heartworms and placed on preventive and then tested again about six months later to make sure that it wasn't infected prior to the first test but before the worms mature. Because the life cycle is so long, the testing strategies are, are, are a little bit complicated, but what's important to know is the test won't show a positive until we actually have adult worms in the heart. And from the time the mosquito bites the dog until we have that is six months. So if we test a six-month-old puppy that's never been on preventive and we get a, detest, a test that tells us that there's no detectable antigen present, that doesn't necessarily mean that that puppy's not infected. What that means is there are no adult heartworms in the heart yet. They, there could have been an infection, say, at three months of age, and if we test again later, uh, the puppy could then uh, test positive. Okay. Now, in another, in a former life, oh, 20 years ago when I worked as a vet tech, we, we tested, we looked at a, a blood smear, or we looked at, we had a test that we looked for the microfilaria, the baby worms in the blood sample, but you mentioned the antigen test. So that's something completely different. What is it that you're looking for there? We're actually looking for a protein that's excreted primarily from the female heartworm. And the tests are very, very sensitive and very, very specific. We can detect very, very low worm burdens in dogs. But it, yes, the, the testing has, has become 
much more sophisticated and much more sensitive. Back in the days when Dr. Prouty was mentoring me, many cases of heartworms were diagnosed based on the changes that we see that are pretty typical on chest x-rays uh, because we couldn't, we had no way to detect these dogs that were positive for heartworms, but for whatever reason didn't have circulating microfilaria at the time that we drew the blood. Well, and then with cats, if they only have one worm and it's a male. Yeah. So you're not going to detect that. Okay. Well, we are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors and be back in just a moment with more from Dr. Graham. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash Peeves, P-E-E-V-E-S, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best-selling pet-related authors, award-winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. And we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first-hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back, and again, speaking with Dr. Wallace Graham, the president of the American Heartworm Society. This is an organization dedicated to educating veterinarians and the public about the importance of proper diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of heartworms in pets. Now, Dr. Graham, before the break, you were explaining how pets are screened for heartworms. Why is it important that they be free of heartworms before they're given the preventative? Actually, it's not as important. That, that's not the most important thing. What's really important to know is the heartworm status of the pet. We actually, in our management now, and things have changed a lot over time, but in our management now, if you look at our 
recommendations for treatment of positive dogs, you will see that we put those dogs on preventives before we kill the adult heartworms. And that's, that's new. That's different than it was uh, many years ago. But it's important to know the heartworm status because if the patient happens to be heartworm positive, we want to get those adult worms out of there as quickly as we can because they're doing damage all the time. Every day, more damage is occurring, and we need to get them out of there. So what are some of the preventives, and and how do they work? You said that the preventives then primarily are targeting the immature stages? Yes. The preventives all fall, and there's a number of them on the market, Uh, they all fall in the the major class of drugs called macrocyclic lactones. And interestingly, uh, we're just now beginning to uncover how these drugs actually work. And it's also interesting to note that there's some work that indicates now that uh, the host immune system has some interaction in the process of killing these infective larvae. But they work by killing the infective larvae that are deposited by the mosquito before they have a chance to mature into uh, juvenile adult worms. So these, these drugs are toxic to those larvae after they're deposited by the mosquito, but before they become juvenile adult worms. Okay, and I know my own dog and cat take a monthly oral preventive, uh, and these are available chewable tablets, pills, drops, all, all kinds of different things that are available. So if you have a pet that that doesn't like taking pills, it's hard, notoriously difficult to pill a cat. So my cat loves her heartworm medicine. She takes it like a treat. Yes, but for the cats that don't or for folks that it's just not uh, practical to do that or for cats that it's not practical to do that, uh, there are topical preparations on the market as well. Okay. I wanted to ask you also, there's some recent concern that, that has come up in the, in the pet press about one of the most popular preventives, uh, HeartGuard, made by Mariel, that some folks were concerned that it seemed it was failing to prevent infection. Now, I know that owner compliance is a really big issue. How important is it to maintain that monthly schedule or whatever that schedule is to give the dose? If you skip a month, is that putting your pet at risk? Uh, yes, you certainly are. And, and there have been some interesting studies by Dr. Adkins where we, he actually looked at those kinds of situations and went into veterinary clinics and went through records and purchase histories and those kinds of things and, and was able to demonstrate that uh, most but not all uh, cases of apparent lack of efficacy of these drugs were actually compliance issues. And uh, we are dealing with parts of the country where the exposures are overwhelming. And um, What are those parts of the country? Yeah, it's primarily the Mississippi Delta region. My part of the world is very dry right now. And, and Oh, yeah, I'm north of Dallas, and we're in the middle of a drought. Yeah, yeah, So, and I'm in Corpus Christi, so uh, Texas. So it's, it's very, very dry. But in those parts of the country where they've had lots of rain, there are lots of mosquitoes. The infection rates are overwhelming, so... It is just very, very important that people give the medications monthly that they get from their veterinarian. Okay. Now, I know also that uh, CAPSI, Companion Animal Parasite Council, has weighed in on the issue of possible heartworm resistance to the product. Are heartworms mutating, or are there certain populations of heartworms that may become resistant to these drugs? And should that worry owners? Is there anything that they should do differently? Well, you know... They certainly should keep in touch with their veterinarians, and their veterinarians should uh, stay current on 
the literature and the information that's available on the Heartworm uh, Society uh, and CAPC websites. But what needs to be said uh, here is, is that this issue is, is much, much more complex than is easily apparent. And the other thing that we know, uh, there's two things that I really want to say about this. And that is, is decreased efficacy to macrocyclic lactones by parasites in other species of animals, in horses and cattle and sheep and goats. You know, that's been a fact of life for a long time. Those situations are different. We're dealing with intestinal, uh, in most cases, intestinal parasites who have very short life cycles. And, and what happens is, is that when you have a small number of individuals in a population that have decreased susceptibility to a macrocyclic lactone, when you use that macrocyclic lactone, you're actually, actually selecting for those because you kill off all the ones that are easy to kill and the only ones that are left are the ones that aren't so susceptible. And so then they repopulate. And so then you need to come up with a different drug, different macrocyclic lactone. And, and that's actually, you know, been going on in large animal intestinal parasitology for quite some time. So the other thing that I think is important to know is, is that in laboratories where they check the, the microfilaria, they harvest microfilaria from dogs from all around the country. And, and there are certain microfilaria from certain dogs that show decreased susceptibility to macrocyclic lactone. Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's another. But, but the important point is, is that there are no macrocyclic lactones on the market right now for which there are not some demonstrable decreased susceptibility in some populations. So that's important to know. And, you know, and then the other thing is there, we're really, really early in the game with respect to understanding the genetics of these different populations around the country. And there's some good there's some good studies going on right now, and, and there's new information coming out, but we're really early in the game and really being able to fully understand all that's taking place in this susceptibility, macrocyclic lactone, heartworm population. Well, I do see that on the American Heartworm Society website, there is a call for samples from a researcher at Cornell University. Yes. And so I'll be sure and put that information on the guest page because this researcher would like to collect blood samples containing the microfilaria from dogs across the country. It's a call out to veterinarians. So folks, if you're listening and you have a dog or you might want to talk with your, your local veterinarian about collecting some of these samples and be part of the part of the answer there. You know, folks could really help us out there if they if they have a heartworm positive dog that has circulating microfilaria, it is so important, as you said, to be part of the solution. You know, you're already part of the problem. It would be great to also be part of the solution. So those folks have undergone the unfortunate event of having their dog infected. That is where they are now, but they can certainly help the veterinary profession by submitting uh, getting their veterinarian to submit those samples. Okay, well, that leads me right into my next question then. The worst happens. For whatever reason, maybe you adopted a rescue dog and, and he was already infected. How is it treated? And I know today there's staging of the disease kind of makes a difference in how this disease is treated in dogs. What about cats, too? Well, because of what I described before about what happens in a cat when a heartworm dies, there is no treatment for adult heartworms in cats, not yet, because we, what we know is they're susceptible to toxicity from the drug, for one thing, but also when that worm dies, a tremendous problem is created uh, in the lungs, and most of those cats die from that. 
So we're not able to treat adult heartworms cats. And now, at the moment, unfortunately, uh, the only approved drug for treating adult heartworms in dogs is unavailable. Yes, the imidacide? The imidacide is currently unavailable. That's a temporary uh, problem, but we don't know how long that might be. It might be a few weeks. It could be months. So it's even more important to get your dog or your cat on preventive, and that way you don't even have to worry about that. That's right, because if they become infected now, there's no guarantee that drug will be available to treat those adult uh, heartworms. Well, what what do they do in in the interim? Supportive care, or they do the, the pre-treatment on the microfilaria, or what do they do? Yeah, there's a management plan that's, that's on the website. It's a PDF file that's downloadable by veterinarians, but the general public as well. And the goals of that are to, to manage the symptoms if the dog has symptoms, to limit the amount of activity in infected dogs. And, and this is a point that's really important that pet owners need to know, that as long as their dog has heartworms, exercise increases the rate at which pathologic changes happen in the dog's heart and lungs. So limit exercise in heartworm-positive dogs. It's crucial to limit exercise. But limiting pathology, uh, managing symptoms, and trying to make sure that that dog is not a reservoir for other uh, dogs, itself or other dogs, those are the goals. All right. And listeners can go to find more information about heartworms at www.heartwormsociety.org. And I'll make sure that that information is up on the guest page for Dr. Graham. So we are out of time, but I would like to thank Dr. Graham and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. I dare you to join me next week for Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of What Hisses You Off. Email me suggestions by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com. Woofs and purrs until next time. Now keep your pets happy and healthy with heartworm preventive care all year long. I mean, I'm here in North Texas. We've got a drought. My cat and my dog get it every month without fail. I don't want to risk them. After all, you don't want your pets to get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.